This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. Hello, this is Gordon Smith, and this is the Sons of Melchizedek Show. Today, I'm interviewing Father Rick Nagel. He is from St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church in downtown Indianapolis. Welcome, Father Rick. How are you today? Excellent, Gordon. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you for agreeing to this interview. We have a little background uh, music in the background here. It's not music. It is um, some construction sounds. So if you hear those bleeding through, St. John's is uh, surrounded by a lot of construction right now, isn't it, Father? We are. We're in the midst of building a new parish hall, which is long awaited, and we're so excited about that. And uh, so that's on our property. And then to the south of us, they're working on both Georgia Street and the new hotel that's going to be built here uh, soon. So a lot, lot happening in the downtown area. Hopefully getting ready for the Eucharistic Congress this summer. And I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. But first, we want to get into your vocation story. You are a priest of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. You've been ordained for about 15 years. Uh, I think the date was June the 2nd, 2007. Uh, and since this is a show about priestly vocations, let's dig into your past a little bit. Would you mind? Not at all. So you are what formerly was called a late-in-life vocation. Uh, what did you do, what was your avocation prior to joining the seminary? Yeah, I was a Purdue graduate and then went on to work with Eli Lilly for a, a bit of time in their agricultural division called Alanco. And um, I was out in Iowa uh, do, working with um, selling farm, animal pharmaceuticals and really didn't find a lot of satisfaction in that. So I started to look at other opportunities to come back home to Indiana. And I uh, took a teaching job in Northwest Indiana, a small school, Tri-County. And, um, I and was, what city was that in or what tri county? Uh, that is in, it's actually because Tri-County, it's so it's um, right there in the corner of three counties of Jasper, uh, White, and Benton. And, okay. and then Wolcott is the little town, Wolcott and Remington. Uh, I loved it there, spent six years teaching in that rural community, great families up there, um, and then ended up coming to Indianapolis to work, uh, to establish a new high school agricultural magnet, is what they call them in the city. Oh, really? Yeah, here on the south side at uh, Emmerich Manuel High School. It's called Star Academy, and still goes on today. So I spent a year with the establishment of it, and then was hired as a state FFA association director to to help lead all the FFA programs across the state of Indiana. Do you still have your blue polar fleece? Oh man, I love my corduroy jacket, of course. Yeah, I tried it on the other day. It doesn't fit quite as well as it used to. <laughs> That's a, a thing for our listeners that happens once a year. The FFA has their convention in downtown Indianapolis, and there are scads of young men and women wearing those blue jackets around downtown. 
Mm-hmm. So back to where you were raised, and uh, you're originally from Rensselaer, correct? Or mm-hmm. just outside of Rensselaer. It sounds like you have an agricultural background, if you were so interested in the... Uh, uh, the, the medicines that that Lily could provide for the animal population. What's your background there? You are a farm boy, is what I'm hearing. Absolutely, I grew up. I loved, uh, yeah, just that rural environment. I grew up on a farm just five miles east of Rensselaer, a little place called Pleasant Ridge. And um, there, my my parents, um, who at one time were told that they would never be able to have children of their own, ended up miraculously having nine kids. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I have five sisters, three brothers. That most, uh, all of them still live in that community today and have raised their families there. That's a wonderful story. Um, your parents, are they living or deceased? They're both passed, yep. Well, that's a great tribute to them that they started a family and that they, um, the kids, your sibs, are still all in that area. You broke away from the area to go to Iowa for a while, but something uh, when you were teaching changed your direction. And, and I remember I've heard your story before. It was, uh, I think, some folks were kind of praying for you and uh, suggesting that you might have a vocation. Can you want to go into that a little bit? Hey, Gordon, it was it, when I was teaching at Tri County, I was actually away from the church and um, really not. Um, connected with God very closely. I had kind of fallen away in college and just had um, was very interested in my career and and had followed that uh, quite seriously um, working there. And then some great Catholic families in that community knew that and they loved me and they um, wanted to see me come back home. And of course, my own parents the same way and they were I'm sure they were praying fervently for me. And so it was it was through the World Youth Day in 1993 in Denver, Colorado that these families invited me to to be the chaperone for their kids to go to Denver. And when they invited me, I just remember thinking, the last thing I want to do on my summer break is take a bunch of high school kids anywhere, right? Uh, Much less to a Catholic thing. And uh, the one uh, father of of two of the kids that were interested in going um, just said, you know, will you you think about that? And um, I said, yeah, I'll think about it. And they said, better yet, why don't you pray about it? And then I knew that I was probably going to Denver. And so, so I ended up um, preparing with those kids to, to uh, meet John Paul II, St. John Paul II and World Youth Day in 1993. That was a big change in my life. Uh, little did I know that I would probably have the biggest conversion of them all and um, ended up coming back to the church, to the faith, to prayer, um, to um, just wanting to be, live a faithful life as a young man. That was a seminal moment in many uh, people's lives. I've talked to more than one priest in this show that was there and um, th- that turned them around or encouraged them in some ways that you obviously were affected by as well. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the Gathering Universal Church, I had no idea um, what, what a great gift that would be um, you know, just spiritually for me, but also eventually John Paul became a great hero uh, because I felt like he was, as so many people would say, that he was talking right to me. And he just kind of said these profound things like, young people of the world, do not be afraid. Follow Christ. Shout from the rooftop your, you know, your faith. Share with others. And I was really inspired by that and started to really take heed of his, his uh, shepherding. And that was really became part of what would lead me eventually to become a shepherd. And a shepherd you are. A couple years ago, 
when the Super Bowl was in Indianapolis, uh, you made some big headlines by opening the doors wide to St. John's Parish while you were here. You want to explain that a little bit, Father? Yeah, again, the inspiration of St. John Paul II, you know, he often said, open wide the doors to Christ, probably about everywhere he went, he, he said that. And, um, you know, I heard and believed in that, um, that we need to do that, that our, to some degree, our churches were kind of high security lockdown. It was, I remember when I was having my conversion or reversion, I'd often want to go to a church to pray and I'd go up and the doors would be locked and I'd be so disappointed. And so um, when the Super Bowl was coming to Indy, we, the ministry team and I here just made a decision that we were going to open up and, uh, and really welcome people in. And we trained over 50 of our parishioners to be uh, hospitality and to give tours and just to just open up and, and welcome people. And we had tens of thousands. We were just shocked at the number of people because we were right in the heart of the village. The, um, the zip line was right in front of us and, you know, all this stuff. So we just had tens of thousands of people come in and conversions and um, confessions and all the great stuff of the church. Well, amen. And bless you for that, Father. That was sort of the turnaround of this area um, when the Super Bowl came and they, they jazzed up the area around Georgia and Capitol Street where St. John's is located. So one of the things I want to ask you about St. John's, uh, which isn't part of your vocation story, but it might be part of your vocation story. Uh, one of your predecessors, and I, I don't recall when it was, but uh, as I worked downtown over the years, I would come to noon mass here. And the uh, tabernacle was off on one side uh, in a, a separate chapel area. Uh, I just noticed recently that the tabernacle is up front again. Uh, did you do that during your time here? Yes, that was actually um, a suggestion of Archbishop Daniel Beekline. Uh, as he, uh, in my early time as pastor, we had a... Um, we had an arson fire here, you might remember, in 2013. So after the Super Bowl was 2012, 2013, we had an arson fire. And so there was a renovation going on in the church. And um, as the renovation continued, Archbishop would come down every Friday to uh, help hear confessions on his day off. Uh, and so one day after confessions, he was kind of in the sacristy and looking around. He says, where's the tabernacle? And I said, well, it's down in the side chapel, in the Sacred Heart Chapel. And he said, what's it doing there? And I said, well, I thought you knew because I, I understood that at one point they were trying to make St. John's um, a basilica. And that, that re in a basilica, it's required, actually, the tabernacle be kind of off the beaten path somewhere in a side chapel or something. And he said, yeah, but that was years ago and it never happened. And I said, well, I think they moved it in anticipation and it never got moved back. And he, I said, Archbishop, what do you think we ought to do? And he says, move it back. And so that Easter, right at, as the renovations were being finished, we, um, we moved the tabernacle back to the, uh, the Rarados, a high altar. And um, it was such a beautiful gift of, you know, being able to have Christ in the Eucharist in the front and center. I'm sure they didn't have to tell you twice, Father, because that is a beautiful setup you have up uh, on the main altar now. And it's just beautiful. It's a historic church. This church was founded in 1837 just a few years before the cabin that your hobby in Brown County was built. You wanna tell us about your hobby there, Father? Yeah, so I've always loved um, 
antiques and old, you know, history and just old stuff. And so um, when I was actually working for the FFA down in Johnson County, I was looking for a place to, to purchase. And I found this old log cabin that had been the original Cordry farmstead from the Cordry Sweetwater Lakes area. And it had been moved in 1955 when the when the lakes were dammed up to a, kind of a, a higher knoll there along the lake. But it had really been in disrepair and um, had been empty for some years, so it was kind of dilapidated. Anyway, I got it bought for uh, a really uh, wonderful price uh, because it really didn't have a foundation under it, a lot of kind of basic things. And so I started to renovate it, and then over the years that's been a hobby is just to restore it and um, I've kept it um, kind of rustic as with the original logs and um, and there's an old uh, well pump inside uh, an old clawfoot tub things like that and then of course it's modernized now and a beautiful respite site for myself on my day off but also to share with family and friends well that is a, a everybody needs a day off uh, our priests especially sometimes I get um, annoyed I guess at um, people that tug on the priest's uh, vestments a little too much uh, with minor things. And uh, we do need to honor and respect our priests that put in so much time. And, and really, all they really want for all of us is to be in heaven together. Right, Father? Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you hit on something that's really important, Gordon, is we we realize we, we got to try to stay healthy. There's a bit of a priest shortage, and there's um, some health, you know, crisis within the priesthood. And so... Um, I try to be true and loyal to, to that day off. We're interviewing today Father Rick Nagel from St. John the Evangelist Parish in downtown Indianapolis. I want to thank you for being here, Father. We'll be right back. It is here where you'll find the best marriage counselor, greatest healer, wisest teacher, and closest friend. It's a place where you'll escape the chaos of the world and find the lasting peace that only comes from God. Jesus is personally waiting to embrace you now with his divine mercy and healing love. Jesus is calling you home to his sacred heart today. I need your mercy. I need a savior. Welcome back. We're interviewing today Father Rick Nagel from St. John the Evangelist Parish in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, Father Rick was telling us about his time off, which is an important thing for priests. We want to remember to always give them a lot of latitude because they have a lot of pressure on them. And even so, they have this pressure. They are here for us. They bring us the sacraments each day. They bring us the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this summer, we are having a special event in downtown Indianapolis. And for our listeners that don't know exactly where St. John Parish is, it's right across the street from where a lot of the breakout sessions will be and very near Lucas Oil Stadium where all the action will be at the Eucharistic Congress. So what are your special plans for the church at that time, Father Rick? Well, they're expecting 80 to 100,000 people to come as pilgrims. And so we're so excited to be in the heart of it all in the heart of the Congress. And um, St. John's has been selected as the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. So we seat about 900 people but imagine now it becoming a chapel for Eucharistic Adoration 24-7 during those days, July 17th to the 21st. And so we're, we're very happy to be the host and hospitality for that. And 
um, as well as we're going to build a Eucharistic village around St. John. So in our parking lot, in the alley, and out on Georgia Street, it's kind of a respite spot for people to come and pilgrims to just have something to eat and drink and rest and share their stories with each other. So we're, we're working on both those projects um, very readily these days and excited about the, the Congress. Well, that's going to be such a, I think the last uh, Eucharistic Congress was uh, 80 or 90 years ago up in Mundelein, I believe. It, it was a long time ago, and so these things don't happen every day. It's a big event for Indianapolis and for the USCCB and all the Catholic priests in our country. Do you expect a lot of bishops and cardinals to be wandering through your sacristy here? Well, I expect that they'll, most all of them will come from the United States and some from around the world even. And um, so I think it's going to be a sight <laughs> to be seen in downtown Indianapolis. Because, for example, I had a call from a religious uh, order of sisters who were bringing 800 sisters and oh wanted gosh. to know if they could use St. John's for a Mass. And I said, well, I'd love to host you, but we're the Adoration Chapel, so we can't have your Mass there. But just the fact that thousands of religious will be here in the heart of the city, priests, brothers, uh, bishops, and cardinals, um, and then just all the faithful lay uh, folks. And and then we just hope that India will be changed, you know, that the heart of this city and really this greater area will be uh, sanctified and really great things come out of through the work of the Holy Spirit during those days. I can just sense your excitement and it's, I can feel the power mounting right now, even though we're several months ahead of that time. Let's talk about your vocation again for a moment. Do you, do you have a favorite Bible passage or story? Uh, what's your favorite Bible quote? I love so many, of course, but one of my favorites recently uh, has been the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves. And the reason being is um, I've, I've prayed a lot with um, and, and preached a lot about how God just asks us to give what we can. Um, as the boy was asked to give up a few fishes and loaves, you know, f to be multiplied, and then God will do the rest, the heavy lifting. And so often I think we think we have to do it all. And... You know, sometimes uh, we have more to give than other times. And uh, during our recent rectory renovation, we were all moved out of the uh, office and rectory for 15 months here. And it became a really trying time for our parish and limited space. And I was off-site living and so forth. And it kind of wore us down a little bit. And there was a point where, as we were finishing the fundraising for the new uh, parish hall, that I was just kind of spent, you know, it's, it's been a long journey. And I said, Lord, I just got a couple crumbs left. That's all I got. I don't even have a loaf, you know. And I, I just gave that to the Lord, and, and he continued to do what he does, you know, and just um, outdo us with his grace. And so that's been a real favorite recently is just that, you know, the Lord asks something of us. He really does. And we give what we can. And then we trust that he'll take care of the rest. He fed to 5,000, and, and that wasn't counting women and children, right? Absolutely, yeah. So he always outdoes us with his goodness. We have to trust in God's providence in all things, and I think that's something that you exhibit a lot, Father. So God bless you for that. What are the, the most important tasks of being a priest? And I know you're going to say sacraments, and so I'm going to advance that a little bit and ask, uh, what's your favorite sacrament? Absolutely, the Holy Mass, the Eucharist. Um, it's such a such a gift in my day. Uh, our, our Mass is 1210 here on uh, weekdays, and I just love it. It's a break in the middle of the day. It re-energizes us and gives us the strength to go forth as we're fortified by Christ himself through his word and through the, through the Eucharist. I always tell people that, yeah, if you want to find me at my best, come to Mass, because that's where I'm always going to be my best. 
and I'm usually, uh, when I come down here, I'm in that one pew that squeaks a lot. So sorry about that, <laughs> Father. By the noisy kid? or <laughs> We love the kids. We're grateful yeah. they're here. God bless you for that. At some point in time, you don't even hear them anymore. So uh, we, we want to welcome all children into Amen. the church at all times. Tell me about, today we're recording this on uh, Bosco Feast Day. And that kind of ties back to your, your love of, of young people and your outreach. Uh, you, you are a priest that young people flock to, has been my experience. And your teaching background especially kind of uh, highlights that and your vocation turnaround story does as well. So tell me about your outreach to young people. Well, the, this feast day is very, very special to me because I, only, I never had any relics in my life. And when I left Our Lady of the Greenwood, my first assignment, um, one of the parishioners gave me a parting gift and it was a relic of St. John Bosco, a first class relic uh, with papers and all. And so I said, what? And she said, no, I know that the, what you're going to do with young people, you're going to need his intercession. So I, I have been blessed. Archbishop Daniel Beekline asked me to come um, establish a young adult and college uh, ministry office in this, uh, for the Diocese of Indianapolis. Um, and that has been beyond anybody, I think my imagination for sure, many others, how God has really taken the grace. Um, Archbishop was praying in his last few years. Uh, he knew he was soon to be retired. That was before his stroke. And he asked the Lord, what, what do you want of me in my last five years? And he felt the Lord calling him to invest in the young church. And that's how that began. And so it's been such a joy. I've uh, helped not only kind of helped with the establishment of our office, but and, most importantly. What, what colleges did, those, did that touch? Uh, not just Butler and IUPUI, right? Yeah, exactly. So UND and, um, you know, we've gone out to DePaul and uh, obviously IU had, had ministry, but that's been amped up um, tremendously over the years, even in southern Indiana, uh, uh, Indiana University South. So really there's 13 campuses in the diocese and they've all been touched by both the campus ministry and then the young adult ministry has been really wonderful too because it's an intentional investment in the young church. And we're talking here more like post-college graduates. Uh, or those who uh, didn't go on to college and working. So we're, we've really been able to invest in the young church and give them a place um, to live and serve and, and come to know and love the Lord more fully. And you obviously love the Lord a lot because an interesting fact that you told me in the pre-interview, um, you, you give a lot of trust in the Lord and for the people that might pack your parachute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Um, Probably not one of my more wise decisions in life, but I, I was kind of talked into going skydiving. Um, and this was after we had established our, our college ministry, and I was actually placed as chaplain on the campus of IUPUI, okay. uh, which had not had any ministry for many years. We brought in Focus, a fellowship of Catholic University students, and we actually had an echo apprentice from Notre Dame as well. And so one of the focus missionaries and, and our echo apprentice, as they were leaving after their commitment was finished, said, we bought you a gift, Father, as we're leaving. And I said, oh, you guys didn't do that. And they said, yeah, we're going skydiving with you. And I, and I, I distinctly remember saying, but I don't like heights. <laughs> and they said, well, you have to go. We bought you the gift. So we, I said, well, I promise I'll, I'll go to Ohio with you to the site. I'll at least watch you, but I'm not sure I'm going to get in that plane. And I ended up um, doing it. The funniest part of the story is the guy who was trapped to my back kind of didn't want anything to do with me. He didn't know at the time I was a priest, I was in plain clothes. 
and when we're floating down and the chute opened and he he says to me i bet your office isn't nearly this cool and i said well actually i think it is and he goes what do you do and i said well i'm a catholic priest and then <laughs> and he was very surprised and at that point we became very close and he was got a, had bragging rights that he had um, helped a priest skydive so we well, had a lot of fun story. doing it so what do you want to tell parents and um, i'm thinking back at jerry and rita your parents mm-hmm. uh, want to ask what a parent should do and at what age to encourage their child to have a priestly vocation? Well, Gordon, I, I feel super blessed. And I know my, um, my brothers and sisters feel the same way to have had the upbringing that we did by my mom and dad. You know, we celebrate them yet today. They're, all my siblings are practicing Catholics and leaders in the church. Thanks be to God. They're, they're doing everything they can to keep their kids. And I have 34 nieces and nephews, keep them all um, faithful. And I think what mom and dad particularly did is they, they, they spoke it to us, but they mostly lived it. You know, they, li- they, they lived lives of charity. They cared for their neighbor. Uh, they were, um, dad was, when he passed away, we couldn't believe the number of people that came to his funeral. It was hours and hours of waiting in line to honor him. And it was just because as a simple farmer, he, he loved people rightly um, and, and never lived outside of our home community lived and died there, but he had really lived a life um, of, of charity. And so my mom was had a lot of vigor. She established the first um, care unit in, in Rensselaer, uh, the Jasper County Hospital for the elderly. And um, she was a great nurse, but also, you know, just loved people in the, in the community and was a prayer warrior for so many. When she passed, she had uh, stick a note after stick a note in her little prayer book of the of people she prayed for daily that she became known as um, somebody to go to if you needed prayer. Um, so just their example, I think, was so powerful for us. They weren't perfect. None of us are, but they sure sought to live in the light of Christ and not just encouraged us, but really, you know, you didn't miss Mass on Sunday as a kid. And so I think part of it was for my vocation and later was was I knew where to return home when I had left uh, the church. And when I was seeking something more in my life, I had roots. And I, knew, I turned back very quickly to find those roots. Your, your life was built on a strong foundation and you had the, the wherewithal. And, and they have, uh, it's a tribute to their lives, your parents, that uh, they laid that foundation for you. So I want to thank you today, Father Rick, for all your time as a priest. And uh, I w- want to also ask you to do a blessing for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious Father, we just thank you for this uh, time to share together, and we thank you for the gift of life and the Holy Church that guides us to you. Uh, We ask that you would continue to just show us your will and your way through your word. And as we follow that way, may we just uh, find great peace in our lives, great joy, and um, be missionary disciples for others. Lord, as we go forth this day, may all that we do and say glorify you. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Rick Nagel from St. John the Evangelist Parish in downtown Indianapolis. We want to thank him for his time as a priest and thank you for being a guest on Sons of Melchizedek. You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. 
If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 